Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. say hi to everybody at all of our sites, people joining us online. So glad you're here for this message. I do have to say a word about last weekend. Easter was unbelievable, particularly the baptisms and the stories that people have come to follow Jesus. Uh, one woman actually experienced physical healing, prayed around that and gave her life to Christ. And her mom, not from a Christian background, saw and said, man, if Jesus answers prayers like that, I want to follow him. So mother and daughter got baptized together. Uh, another woman been through all kinds of stuff, addictions, experienced homelessness, a lot of physical challenges, and uh, she gave her life to Christ. She's actually teaching the Bible now and leading recovery groups, and she came up out of the baptism waters just going like this. Everybody was going nuts. Uh, a young woman, 18 years old, talked about how uh, her life had been filled with so much pain. There had been depression and suicidal thoughts and finding Jesus has changed her life, and the courage and raw honesty of her story was amazing and very relevant to what we're saying here. Uh, we had record attendance at a bunch of our sites and all together, and none of that would happen if it weren't for so many of you praying, volunteering, serving, inviting. So way to go. Yay, God, and yay, you. And then, looking forward, I want to say a word about next week. We're launching a five-week series on the world's most important word, which is love. We want everybody to grow in love. That's the whole reason we exist as a church. And we want you to be able to experience this in community. And so we've created uh, a resource for all of our life groups. And there's a book and a video teaching guide that goes along with it. Uh, we've not done something like this before, and we think it's going to be great for all of our life groups. Also, we're very aware that some of you have a travel schedule that can be a challenge, so we're piloting an online life group for five weeks of this series where people will go online, watch a teaching video, and then break into virtual rooms for discussion. And that way, wherever you are in the world, you won't miss. You can be a part. And if life groups with real live people in the room sound a little scary, this could be for you because there's an off-ramp in five weeks. You don't have to do anything beyond that if you don't want to. If you're an introvert, it'll be great because you don't have to even actually touch anybody uh, or have anybody looking at you. You're just doing it online. We have the capacity for 100 people to do the online uh, life group experience. So you can go to menlo.church slash love and sign up. Now, this is what we call Student Weekend, and here's what you need to know. There are two kinds of people God loves. One of them is young people. God is irrationally crazy about young people. He mass produces them. He is currently cranking them out at record levels. Every time one comes out, it's God saying, I have not given up on the human race yet. It is an expression of hope. And then God made old people. He's crazy about them too. In fact, he's one of us. God is the oldest person in the universe. Our world increasingly separates and isolates the old from the young. In music, entertainment, leisure activities, retirement enclaves, our world operates on a strategy of separation. But God's plan was just the opposite. Psalm 78 says, Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. 
the single most important text to the people of Israel, so sacred that they would repeat it twice every day, was this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And then one more biblical text. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. In other words, God's plan has always been for the generations, young and old, to be with, care for, learn from, and invest in each other. So, you need to figure out whatever category you're in, and then be intentional about hanging out with and loving people in the other category. If you are young, you need to be around some older people. You need their wisdom. You need their experience. You need them to teach you how to live in the faith. You need the steadiness of purpose that comes from being with people who have weathered the storms of life. If you're old, you need to be around younger people. You need their energy. You need their enthusiasm. You need them to teach you how to use technology. You need the vitality and flexibility and learning that comes from being around people who are filled with possibility and have not yet learned what cannot be done. Now, if you're not sure or old, you're old. So, I want to pose two questions today. And the first is this, is growing up today getting harder or easier? What do you think? Rich Carlgaard from our own church has written a fantastic book, just come out, called Late Bloomers. And he documents the challenge and pressure that young people face in our day. Severe anxiety and clinical depression are between 500 and 800 times more prevalent in high school students today than they were in the 1960s. And it does not get better after that. In one survey, 54% of college students said they had felt overwhelming anxiety in the last 12 months. If you had to name the challenge they face in a single word, I think that word might be the word pressure. They live, young people, in a day when elite preschools charge $37,000 a year and offer a full immersion in a second language experience for three-year-olds so that they can get into a prestigious college. Einstein, at least so it is said, did not speak a word in his first language till he was four years old, for crying out loud. If he was born in our day, he would be in some kind of remedial education program. His parents would be real worried. But in our day, baby Einstein makes half a billion dollars a year selling multimedia toys to make sure that kids speak way before the real baby Einstein ever did. Kids who do not excel are dropping out of sports in childhood because sports have become resume enhancers for college applications. I'm not making this up. Uh, Recently, the University of Nevada offered a football scholarship to Haven Finney Jr. when he was nine years old. Like you're 11 and you don't have any scholarship offers? Why are you still playing? Riley Weston was a 19-year-old superstar. She signed a $300,000 contract as a scriptwriter for Disney. Entertainment Weekly 
uh, listed her as one of the most creative people around, only it turned out she wasn't 19. In real life, she was 32. She lied about her age because she knew no one would hire her if they knew she was 32 years old. It's way too old. You've got to hit it big and you've got to hit it fast. Rich writes, kids in our world live in a society where if they don't crush their SATs, make a top-tier university, reinvent an industry, the message they get is loser, disappointment, failure. Why did we see that scandal break a few weeks ago with parents spending crazy money to bribe their kids' way into the right college? Our kids are growing up in this world. It's not their fault, but it's their fate. And so many of them are fighting so hard. I'm so proud of the students at our church. I think of a few hundred of them going down to Mexicali this spring. So many eager young lives who want to know God and make a difference. And they're having to swim upstream. I am so proud of all the students that you'll see this weekend. That you'll see around whatever campus you're at. Who seek to care for one another and make a difference with their lives. And I'm haunted, guys, by another challenge. Kara Powell writes in another wonderful book called Sticky Faith that the best research indicates that between 40 and 50% of kids who graduate from a church or youth group will not stick to their faith, to the practice of their faith through college. That is not okay. Imagine having all of our kids lined up on a platform and counting off one, two, one, two, one, two, and half of them will shelve their faith. Some might come back to it later in life. Lots don't. I talk with a lot of parents of grown-up kids, and I don't know of a burden, not a single one, like the burden of the well-being of a child in the heart of a parent. I don't just mean that we have religious disagreements or that they might check a different box. I mean, when you know how badly that child that you love needs God, and what a difference a robust faith would make in their life and their heart. And you have to watch that beloved little human being you brought into the world suffer and hurt because of an addiction or poor relational choices or impulse problems or emotional pain. And there is no bedrock of God for them to rest on. So that leads to the next question. Life's getting tougher for young people. Next question is seeking to pass faith in God on to the next generation, optional or non-optional? What do you think? And the answer, of course, is it's non-optional. God has commanded this. The only way any of us have faith is because it was passed on to us by a faithful, sacrificing generation, one after another, that came before us. Now, one of the reasons, just to be real honest, to care about the next generation is extremely practical. A friend of mine named Jim Burns has just written a book about parenting your adult children, and he starts it like this. Be kind to your adult children. They are the ones who will take away your car keys and usher you into the convalescent facility. So I want to say to my own kids, kids, if you're watching this, mom and I love you so much, and we have a little special something for you in the will. But the biggest single reason for those of us who follow Jesus is that he not only taught about care for that next generation, he modeled it. One time Jesus was with his disciples and people tried to bring their kids up and the disciples rebuked people because this is big church and 
And Jesus was indignant. Jesus was ticked. Jesus actually said, whoever welcomes that child welcomes him. Jesus is the first children's pastor. By the way, if you're wondering how old the disciples were, uh, all male Israelites in Israel had to pay a temple tax if they were 20 or over. Uh, In Matthew 17, Jesus has Peter pay that tax, but only for the two of them and not for the other 11. Israelite men were often married by the time they were about 18, but only Peter is mentioned as having a wife. There's a very good chance, we don't know for sure, there's a very good chance that the rest of the disciples were teenagers, which means that Jesus was the first youth pastor, and the disciples were the first youth group, kind of raises the bar. So, We're calling on every adult, whatever your age, you have a calling from God to be part of passing on the faith to the next generation, investing love and hope in them. As Craig Rochelle said, if you're not dead, you're not done. The word retirement, not in the Bible. The word Florida, not in the Bible. The phrase lifestyle enclave, not in the Bible. What is in the Bible is a picture of intergenerational connection, of great beauty and mutual engagement. In Acts 2, Paul says, when the Holy Spirit gets poured out, now your sons and daughters will prophesy. The young will see visions. The old will dream dreams. In other words, the Spirit will knit together people across gender and across ages like never before. And it happened. In Sticky Faith, Kara says, the single action that predicts faith sticking with young people more powerfully than anything else is when high school and college students engage in worship services together with all the adults of the church. Too often, kids go off to college and they knew youth group, but they did not know or identify with church. So, we're actually doing ministry programming for middle school and high school students at other times during the week because in our weekend services, we want you here. Now, that means for those of us who are older, we got to say, my first priority when I come to worship will not be me, will not be my preferences, my style, my taste, my decibel level, my comfort. I would rather pay the price needed to be part of a church that passes on faith in Jesus Christ to the next generation than be part of a church that caters to my taste and dies. What do you think? Can I get an amen on that one? So, When you come to church, I'm asking everybody, be looking for people of a different age to connect with. Greet them. Ask them questions. Tell them that you're glad to see them. Make them happy that they came. If you're a parent, ask what one step you can take to help your kids know God. Pray with them once a week at a time other than mealtime. Go on a mission trip together. Have at least one intentional conversation a week that is faith-related. Talk about your own doubts. Uh, Young people face doubt in massive ways in our day. Talk about what you learn. Be intentional about your spiritual growth. Let your children know that you are growing and serving and giving. If you're a parent, remember, your job is to work yourself out of a job. In an age of helicopter parents, I must release my child to God. Jim Burns writes about a friend of his who's a college president, true story. He got a call from a parent who complained that her child in college got a D in a business class paper, and she wanted the grade changed. The president followed up with a professor who said, actually, that paper was closer to an F than it was a D. 
And when the college president called the mother back and reported what the professor said, she became angry. She said, I totally disagree. I have an MBA from Stanford, and I wrote that paper for my son. Now we know what an MBA from Stanford is actually worth. Um, let go of the kids. they got to experience life together under God's care. Ask God if he could use you as a volunteer with students to lead a life group or to go to Mexicali or to help with worship or to open up your home. Get to know a few students and pray for them regularly. For everybody who is here that's 35 or over, I want to challenge you to make sure you get to know at least one student in your life to whom you're not related. Write down their name. Pray for them regularly. Find out about their lives. Become a student of your student. We celebrated the baptism on Easter of one woman who found her California grandparents here at our church. And you could be that. One great researcher in this field writes, every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. So find one to be irrationally crazy about. And know this, when you serve with young people, your life gets blessed in unexpected ways. Eunice Nichols is one of our elders, and she works with a great organization called Encore that's all about intergenerational relationships. She told me about two older women named Aggie and Louise, both of them close to 80, both of them flunking retirement, uh, both of them under five feet tall, just little wisps of women, but they're determined to give back. Aggie said, I'd rather wear away than rust away. And they began to work with a medical center that treated children for cancer. Often the parents had to return to their work some, some hours away. And so Aggie and Louise would become on-site parents to those cancer-riddled children. Aggie was told there was a baby that was going to die of cancer, and they had promised the parents that that baby would not die in a cradle. And so Aggie took over. And she would hold that baby hour after hour. Eventually that little baby died in the arms of somebody who was irrationally crazy about her. It is a holy thing when somebody who is old loves somebody who is young. And both of them are changed. So I, I want to close by saying a word about our hearts. If you're an adult, if you're older, have a heart for this emerging generation. Fall in love with our students. Don't let your heart get old. I don't want to be one of those old, grumpy, distant, judgmental, isolated, cold-hearted people. I want to bless the coming generation because they are the future of the church. More than that, they are the church. And they are expressions of God's hope for the future of the human race. And then to students, to young people, those of you just starting out in life, I know, I know, this is a world that is both wonderful and promising and really hard and really confusing and really frightening. And I want you to know, God loves you so much. And this church loves you so much. And your life matters more than you have any idea. And we believe in you. And we celebrate you. And we are honored and privileged to pass the torch of faith on to you as best we can so that it will burn more brightly in your hands than it has in ours, so that you, in turn, can pass it on to the generation that is yet to come. 
every young person in this church, we honor and celebrate and love you from the bottom of our heart.